Welcome to CF Speaks. In this episode, we will begin our multi-part series on idioma oluos, so you want to talk about race. This is a 2018 uh, nonfiction book about race relations in America. In it, Oluo outlines her opinions on the topics as well as advice about how to talk about the issues. Um, the book received renewed interest following the May 2020 killing of George Floyd, after which the book re-entered the New York Times bestseller list. To CF Speaks, we are continuing our deep reading of So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijeoma Oluo. Uh, practiced so many times. Um, and uh, we are going to um, continue our deep reading of this with um, Professor Amira Sims, who teaches um, psychology and human growth and development at the college. Um, she has a master's in clinical and counseling from Valdosta State University, and she comes to us by way of, um, was it New Jersey, California, and then Florida? <laughs> Great. That's right. Well, That's right. Thank you for joining us, um, Professor Sims. And... Um, and then we also have um, Mrs. Uh, Roxana Rubio, AKA also known as Roxy. Uh, Roxy is a um, digital media focused um, associate student. And when she graduates, she would like to go to uh, the University of Florida, pretty good school, and get a um, bachelor's degree in graphic design. Um, Roxy, I forgot to ask, do you want to just be like a general graphic designer? Do you want to do print design, web design, any idea, or just all of it? Uh, I'm not sure, okay. to be honest. Perfect. <laughs> I'm only asking because I want to. I want to know what I should do with the rest of my life. So maybe I'll <laughs> do that. Um, Roxy uh, lives in um, is here locally by way of Texas and Mexico for a couple of months. So that's such an interesting. What a worldly and urbane person you are, Roxy. Um, and you are, do you now live in Citrus County? Is that what you were saying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about a couple of uh, chapters of the book. And um, I guess we should just get started. And I'm going to maybe let you do all the talking. So Roxy, this is all on your shoulders. Just kidding, Roxy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, what is intersectionality and why do I need it? Okay. So um before I read the book, I didn't really know the term, what is intersectionality. So reading the chapter was very informative for me. And I should have known the term, but I didn't. Um, I figured I would share just like a blurb of what she says, and then I would just put it in my own words. Um, 
she mentioned that this term actually came from Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989, who was a civil rights um, activist. And she was talking about the merger of gender and race. And so when I was reading that chapter, you know, it actually brought tears to my eyes because she was basically saying that intersectionality is the idea that you can't really appreciate someone's um, oppression or privilege if you separate it out. There's there's a juncture. The, all these things come together. And again, like for me, I immediately thought of the biopsychosocial model in psych. I thought, how can you parse a, parse this human being? How can you separate them into all these individual little parts and only acknowledge or honor one part of them? then that does a disservice to the other part. So if you're just talking about race and you're forgetting the fact that I'm a woman, then you're not getting, you're missing the, the big picture. You're not going to really approach the conversation honestly. You're not going to get as much progress. So we need it because we don't want to leave people out. We need it because the way that Roxy experiences, um, you know, her life as a woman is going to be different than the way that I experience life, my life as a woman, you know, which would be different than, another person um, because we have multiple identities and you, you basically need to honor those, those different identities. If you, you want to have a real conversation and you want to have progress. That's what I took from it. Yeah. I think that's, um, I like in the chapter when she says that um, it's harder because it's like more complicated to consider that you're both, you know, um, maybe you are um, a, a person of color and then you're also um, a person who has origins in another country, you know, that's like two different things to like sort of um, um, deal with or to, to add gender on top of that or to add any variety of, of experiences and of, of identities on top of that makes the conversation so much more complicated. And it's like, um, uh, I don't wanna say it's annoying, but it's like slower. You have to like slow things down. You have to admit like, um, I might not get to the progress I want to like in one conversation because this is like now twice as difficult. We're not just talking right. about race, we're talking about gender as well. and. You know, so it's a slower, it's a slower politics. It's a slower activism in a way, which is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. She highlighted some of the, um, it was like in bold, you know, it's going to be more inconvenient, um, you know, and, you know, obviously people are not going to be happy about that. They want like a quick solution. Um, and then, you know, even if you, uh, it made me think of like, a situation that occurred quite a while ago where Oprah Winfrey uh, was uh, profiled over a handbag she was going to purchase. And so obviously on a day-to-day -day basis, Oprah Winfrey doesn't experience the same type of setbacks that I do because she's in a different social class. But here again, she is experiencing this situation. And at the same token, I might just as a, as a college professor or a college graduate, I might not experience the same thing as I'm a single mother, um, so I might not experience the same thing as a single mother who didn't finish college or even high school, who's in a different socioeconomic status, you know? So it's easy to forget that, you know, we all have multiple identities. And, you know, so I thought it was a, a brilliant, 
brilliant chapter. I thought she did a good job, like giving all these different examples, even about um, ability. Back when I used to teach the class on uh, psycho minorities, we talked about ability and how people forget that when you when you when you don't have when you can't walk around or you can't hear or you can't see people treat you a lot differently and even weight. You know, people will see you. And if you're just a little bigger than what they think is normal, they will treat you a lot different than someone who is, you know, on the smaller side. So, yeah. It's really interesting. What, what do you think about this idea of intersectionality, Roxy? Does that ring true for you that those um, different identities like compound and complement uh, you know, our experiences of the world? Um, I can definitely agree with the author about this um, whole thing about um, uh, the differences of if, like, even though, like, um, I as a, a person of color, but I'm a woman, and then the experiences that my brother can go through as a person of color can definitely uh, differentiate and I'm glad that the author brought that up in the book. Yeah. Do you find that there are things that you experience that your brother doesn't understand? Or vice versa? Um, well, I think that I'm, I'm a little older than him. So I definitely have experienced things that he has not yet. And I do wish that there are things that he hopefully will never have to experience. Um, but I'm sure he will, unfortunately, in this time. Um, but, yeah, there are definitely some things that um, I will only experience as a woman. And then, like, um, being, like, catcalled or being called these certain things because I'm a woman of color than him being um, a man, a uh, person of color. Yeah, it was a pretty interesting chapter. Um, um, and when we think about, um, I mean, it really like forces us to pinpoint where we are in relation to other people. And then it forces us to like take ourselves out of the center if we're used to being in the center. And sometimes it forces people that have never been in the center into the center. And so that seems, um, at least in terms of like fairness or whatever, not even to get into like a more complicated conversation about like, how does that materially affect politics? Like it seems at least at least fair, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I read the chapter, I like that she included some tips on, you know, where to start and questions to ask yourself. You know, it was like very, um, I thought like almost like self-help, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, and then just, it's like I said, I like she she mentioned, like people will hear that term intersection, intersectionality and they'll be like, what's that? And that automatically might make them become defensive instead of, you know, um, trying to understand. So if you break it down and put it in layman's terms, 
often, you know, most people can can relate. They can understand, you know, in psychology, we talk about identity as being one of the core um, core things for for health, for mental health in particular. If you don't have a sense of self, then, you know, you kind of get stunted on every other level, you know. Um, So like it's a it's a pretty big deal. Wow, I didn't realize that was so central to psychology or to like understanding mental health. Um, yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, depression, eating disorders. You think of all the gamut of things that go or go wrong, go awry with people. They kind of start with that idea of no sense of self. You know, if you don't have a, a sense of who you are, you don't have dignity. You're willing to accept things that you, you wouldn't accept otherwise, or you're willing to torture yourself or allow other people, you know, to torture you. Um, in human growth and development, you know, we don't talk about, uh, we, in Erickson's theory, he puts sense of self like kind of at the adolescence, you know, but there's entire theories devoted to just identity and, you know, the whole discussion of ego and personality is really just self. So, it's, you know, it's, it's identity. So it's, it's a pretty big, pretty, pretty big deal. Okay, so I'm gonna, um, I guess I'll move on to the next chapter. I feel guilty because I feel like I told you guys two different things. So uh, hopefully we could like <laughs> salvage a little bit of this. Um, is, pro- is police brutality really about race? Now, Roxy, you did not read this chapter, right? No. Do you have um, like preconceived notions about an answer to this question? I feel like my first answer was like, yes. (laughs) But then I wonder, like, I feel like I am related to people whose first answer would be no. Um, Or like, of course not. Or maybe that's just an excuse. Do you have different, um, I don't know, what what are your preconceptions about this, Roxy? And do you know people that might disagree with you? So I think the answer to this question is yes, that police brutality really is about race. And from my high school career, I was surrounded by people who did not think that, um, that it really was just people who um, that would experience police brutality were just um, not cooperating or actually did deserve those actions. Um, But personally, I think it is about race. Um, especially about the history behind police and the system as, a, as it is today. Um, it's definitely um, a system that needs to be um, uh, repaired. Yeah. What do you mean history? Because she does actually talk about history in this chapter. Did you read the chapter or do you just know? <laughs> no, I just know. Um, uh <laughs> I read somewhere that it actually, the police actually started to, was started because to, um, to retrieve um, runaway slaves. So really in the beginning, it wasn't, police wasn't about um, protecting, it was just about to uh, enforce the law. And I'm pretty sure that it is still like that today. Um, I've read some articles about um, 
these events that people were injured. Um, but the police uh, only cared about um, basically just to enforce the law. They did not call for any help, like um, an ambulance, um, and let these people suffer under their watch. So I still think that um, because of the history of uh, still of only wanting to enforce the law, it's still um, it is like this today. And um, yeah, that race is definitely a part of it as well. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of sad to hear like a young person to know without even reading the chapter um, that is yeah. the truth. Um, yeah, um, yeah. She 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 highlighted a lot of things in this chapter, and she brought up Sandra Bland, and um, I think people even when they watch the tape with Sandra Bland, they'll think, oh, why was she? having such an attitude uh, with the police. But it's like, if you just, if a police pulls you over for something that you didn't, you didn't even do anything wrong or you did something minor that people do all the time, they're following behind you, you put your blinker on and then they're harassing you. Um, is that a reason to get assaulted, to get your dignity taken from you? You know, uh, it's not. And to think that that just mysteriously happens to to black people and they're asking for it. It's like thinking that women are asking to be raped. Um, yeah. And the fact that there's such a divide in our country of people who believe that it's a serious issue just compounds the problem. My daughter was at Forest High School and she had a teacher that had some paraphernalia that was saying blue lives matter. And, you know, it's like, she, that teacher has no idea what she's signaling to the black students, you know, or if she does, that's even more insidious that she would, would do that. And now we have these students that don't want to go to school or feel, you know, stress, unnecessary stress. And this teacher is exercising their right, but it's not a laughing matter. Yeah. I hope you guys can't hear my kids in the background. We can't. We can't. It's okay. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like stress that comes with an interaction with a police officer. For me, as a white, let me tell you all this story about when I got pulled over one day. I got pulled over because I had a tail light out. I had no idea. The cop comes up to my door. I like pulled up into a convenience store, didn't even realize I was getting pulled over, wasn't even aware. The cop walks up, I'm like undoing my seatbelt. I open the door, I like poke my head outside and I'm like, oh, hey, what's the problem? I mean, could you imagine, like you guys could probably never even imagine doing that, but I was so naive, unaware, privileged even that like um it didn't even occur to me that like what could have happened in that moment had 
I looked a little differently or, you know, some, like I can't imagine, I, I think I was like 23 or 24 at the time. I can't imagine a 24 year old black version of me doing that and um, coming out with just a warning, which is what I came out with. Um, yeah, I had an opposite story. It was so, actually an uh, officer helped me and my daughter out. We were um, going it's like, I don't know, it's not far from here in Ocala, but the uh, the Twirling Academy, they had this um, competition and it's here and it's like on the outskirts of Ocala, but it was an area where there were not a lot of people of color. And um, we were roaming around, we lost our car. I parked the car and then we were trying to get back to the car and it was like a Trump rally that had went on just not far from where we had parked. So I was already feeling like maybe we, we shouldn't be just roaming around here freely. Uh, and a officer stopped. He saw us walking and was about to start getting dark. And my daughter is like eight or nine, eight years old. And we're just roaming around in like what would be the woods. And he pulls over and says, do you need some help? And I was like, I was looking scared because I was like, oh, I don't need any help. And my daughter's like, yes, <laughs> we need help. And so he um, he got us in the back of the, the car and, and helped us find our car. And it was really nice. It was it, we wouldn't have found the car by the time it got dark. And we were in the woods just roaming around, which I didn't feel like was a good thing. Even was a trooper. Yeah. And, and it, he, it turned out really pleasant. But. The, the problem with not addressing race issues is, you know, somebody else might not have taken that help and something could have happened, you know, but, you know, it worked itself out. But I was really suspicious when he pulled up. I was like, why is he coming over here? We're walking. We're on foot. But he was he was actually coming to help, you know, and yeah. I was I was it was pleasant. But I've had other experiences that made me be suspicious in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um. Do you, uh, I guess in like a professional setting where I feel like I'm not the regular voice as like a queer person, <laughs> I feel like a sense of nervousness occasionally in, um, in meetings or in, um, even in like a classroom setting or something like, like when I was younger. And I'm wondering if y'all uh, have ever had those kind of experiences that pro that maybe just like emanate from some inner paranoia that like I I'm I don't like dress like the professional whatever that means you know wherever those standards come from I I don't meet those standards necessarily yeah um, I definitely feel like I stand out frequently. Um, I've always stood out uh, because I've always been one of the only. It's just like the thing, you know, like in my department, there's me. And anytime there's any conversation about race, it's like, oh, Amira. Yeah. And I'm like, really? And often I'm quiet and people on campus don't even really know me. I did a TED talk and um, here at CF, I did two TED talks and the TED talk I did where I, I uh, talked a little bit about race. Um, you know, I didn't even we, our in our department. We went around saying, "Hey, what we what we've been up to," you know, and that is something I could 
could say that contributed and I could have on my portfolio. Yeah, I participated. I did a TED talk here at CF, you know, but um, because I, you know, feel other like an other, an outsider, part of the out group, I wasn't so vocal about it. You know, it took other people bringing it up for me to actually say, yeah, that was me. I did that. You know, I don't try to celebrate my victories and I certainly don't voice my concerns openly because, you know, you know, you already stand out. Have you ever experienced something like that, Roxy? Well, professionally, like in a school environment, um, like for my art, um, I definitely did take, uh, use my experiences and put that in my art. And that was definitely uh, different from other people, um, like in the same class and definitely uh, had different, um, I guess, responses from the teacher as well. So, um, and they weren't like, like positive ones. And it definitely made me feel like I definitely like stood out everywhere else, even though that the things that I was drawing and like um, uh, uh, presenting uh, was normal to me. Um, so definitely felt like I was odd. Um, did not feel pleasant about that. Um, but yeah, I can say that I have experienced that kind of thing in, um, in a professional environment and not just like going to a grocery store and being the only person like speaking Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that maybe hopefully having those Ted talk conversations, Amira, and it's so unfair that like, it always has to fall on your shoulders. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but I, I just, you know, maybe hopefully we're moving into a space where at least at our school, I hope you feel like you can openly um, air your grievances or, you know, just be critical of, of whatever, it's not even necessarily that it, it's a grievance or anything or, you know, and I've definitely felt that way as well. And I think this is my fifth year and I feel like I'm just now like, okay, what I, I need to say what I want to say. Like, I'm going to say what I, what I want to say now. Um, so I don't know. It makes me sad that y'all have had those experiences, but maybe that is a gift maybe that makes us more compassionate or something makes us better able to like relate to other people do we um let's talk about um how can i talk about affirmative action i feel like police brutality is just such a huge huge topic there's no there's no way we can talk there's no way we can talk about it in one chapter there's no way we can talk about it in 
a little section of the podcast, but needless to say that the entire reason that this podcast is happening, the entire reason that um, the diversity efforts and inclusion efforts on, on our campus that are happening are all because of, you know, the, the general state of, of police relations and um, figures of authority and how that interacts uh, with race and how, you know, so I don't, I'm sure that we can, I'm sure that we can talk about it at, at, at infinitum somewhere else. So um, what would y'all, uh, <laughs> what, what did you get? I, I'll, I'll let you Roxy, cause I feel like I'm talking over you a lot. I'll let you take the lead with, how can I talk about affirmative action? What did you think about that chapter? Uh, I, I really like this chapter because in the beginning she brought up um, how it was in school for her and in the work field. Um, as a black woman and it really uh, spoke to me because um, just like the difference of and the reasoning behind why uh, black and brown people uh, children are um, uh, are treated in school and how that can affect um, uh, their career in the future. Um, because I have a brother who's in high school right now, and I really uh, worry for him, especially in that environment that he had that he has to go to now, um, about like how the teachers and the administration will treat him because he's a person of color. Mm-hmm. And it really does fall on the teachers and the administration to be aware of the differences that the difference that they're treating uh, black and brown uh, children. Um, That's what she talks about in this chapter too. Um, And also uh, the arguments that people that say that, oh, we don't actually need to take action, but in reality we actually do. And even though it doesn't work as a, great as we want it to it just can't make racism go away it's definitely a step to um to realize that there is um a problem um with uh, schools and um in the work field this isn't just about um you know just something that happens to a child this happens to anyone everyone uh, as a person of color so um but yeah that's what i thought about this chapter yeah I like what Roxy had to say I I really um I agree I like that she and actually I felt like some of the information in that chapter goes back to her opening in the opening of the book in the beginning of the book uh, she really set the stage for the conversation um, by telling stories and sometimes telling stories is how people can relate because they're like, they can see themselves or a friend or a family member in a similar situation. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we have to take steps. We can't just wish, hope, and pray. You know, we have to tackle this problem head on. And I would even say, you know, um, one of my phrases is that um, I'm, a, I'm a gardener. And so I, I actually really like compost because compost, it stinks. 
it's, you know, smelly, but it does wonders for your garden. So I say when we have all these horrible situations, I think of it as compost. And I'm like, that's okay. Bring the compost on because my garden is going to be that much more beautiful, you know? So all the trouble that we've gone through, all these, you know, struggles and strife, there's something that's going to come out of it that I, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that it will get better. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's so beautiful. You guys both, um, put it in such a really nice way. I think for me as a person who grew up from like a a poor white family in a really poor white part of Georgia, I am really concerned about how many people, I mean, I I guess we can't bring everybody along on these conversations, but I want to bring as many people along as possible. And so what I would say is to, to think that affirmative action is not fair is assuming that we're all starting off on the same foot. And that's, that's just not true. You know, it's just, that's just not true. Um, and that's why we do have, um, you know, scholarship minority, and it's not perfect, right, Roxy? Um, and that's what she says in the, it's not perfect. I wish that this wasn't, you know, a necessary correction of our history, but it is a necessary correction of our history. And so it would, you know, we we also have scholarships for people who are first time in college and their family. We also have scholarships for, and um, and 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 grants and things for people that come from low-income families, regardless of race. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just an admission that we don't live in a world that's fair. And can we take an even a small incremental step into making that world a little bit more fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I agree. <laughs> that's what I, I agree. Would say. <laughs> I agree. That's uh, why I'm inviting my like poor white brethren with me on this like journey to like embrace affirmative action at least until we resolve all of the world's problems and then we can. <laughs> <laughs> that's a happy, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm like, I'm definitely in favor of, you know, I I think sometimes people don't want to have corrective actions because it just forces them to admit that they were wrong. It's kind of like even with you have conversations with people who are very proud of the Confederacy and it's like, okay, you can be proud of the history. I I have, um, there's a, um, a bird, a Sankofa. It's a, a symbol that says, you know, go back. It's okay to go back for that, which is lost. It's a um, Ghanaian symbol. And it's one of my kind of models. When I was at VSU, uh, they gathered up all the African-American students and we had a Sankofa celebration. And they basically was like, you know what? It's okay to go back for that, which is lost. Like, you know, we can learn from our history. In fact, that's how you actually grow and get better. You learn from your history. Mm -hmm. You know, you think in Germany, they're not learning about the Holocaust? Do you think they're not getting better from learning about that? Or are they brushing it over and pretending like it wasn't as bad as it really was? You know, but here, you know, we want to pretend like it wasn't that bad. You know, we want to pretend like, you know, the sky isn't blue. And that's just a reality we can't 
you know, we, we can't ignore. <laughs> and it was only, I mean, what the civil rights movement was on, was only 60 years ago, maybe. I mean, and so to think that like 50 years ago, to think that, um, and, and that's just like assuming there's a neat end to civil rights, which of course there isn't. And these little um, tendrils of things that were fought for in civil rights are still around us today. Um, so yeah, yeah. Let's move towards, you know, a space where we don't need affirmative action anymore. That would be great. That would be. I, I just want to thank you all for meeting me on a Friday night. Thank you, Roxy. And uh, thank you, um, uh, Professor Sims. And um, we I'll let you know when it's published, when it's up and ready to go. Okay. Thank you. And sorry for the, you know, last minute. Um, no interruption. Roxy, it was nice talking with you. And it was really nice talking with you, Bud, too. I, I, uh, I appreciate being invited. I'm glad you're doing this podcast. I can't wait to hear the other talks also. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, Roxy. I'll see you next Friday in class. Okay, it was nice talking. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> College of Central Florida offers equal access and opportunity in employment admissions and educational activities. The college will not discriminate on the basis of race, color, ethnicity, religion, gender, pregnancy, age, marital status, national origin, genetic information, sexual orientation, gender identity, veteran status, or disability status in its employment practices or in the admission and treatment of students. Recognizing that sexual harassment constitutes discrimination on the basis of gender and violates this policy statement, the college will not tolerate such conduct. CF Speaks would like to thank the CF Foundation for their generous support. Please subscribe to CF Speaks on your preferred podcast platform to hear all past and future episodes. Thank you for listening.